Welcome to The Rot Focus, a podcast for rotters, newbies, and veterans, and everyone in between. We're hosted by M.A. Lee with the assistance of Remy Black and Edie Rooms, all from Rotters Inc. Books. Our focus is productivity, process, craft, and tools. Each episode lasts as long as it takes to fix a quick dinner, grab a short commute, or take a brisk walk. Resources and links are in the show notes. Visit us at therockfocus.blogspot.com. Now, on to this week's episode. For the next set of episodes in our Discovering Characters series, we're looking at relationships. Our first two episodes will concern couples and the bonds that change individuals into a couple. Then we'll look at team roles, allies, and more. In this episode, our focus is contracted relationships. The couple's bond. All relationships of choice are built in three stages. Now, when I say relationships of choice, my focus is on the bonding relationships that two people build independently of outside influences. Many relationships are contracts, such as contracted marriages when the parents or others serve as the matchmaker. These are valid relationships. They just don't begin in the matter that relationships of choice do. Such relationships, since they are not built on transitory lust, often survive the lifetimes of the two people in the relationship. Writers must understand the difference between these two types of relationships. Too often, in historical novels, in fantasies with original worlds, the stories are weakened because a relationship by contract is considered more like one of choice. Understanding the difference prevents discrepancies in character behavior. Let's glance through the difference in these two terms as well as the history that causes the terms. Contract versus choice. In relationships by choice, two people decide to be together as a single unit, a couple. They will usually have a courtship period in which they get to know each other before they decide to marry, or otherwise let the world know they are united. These two people originally met in a common sphere, church, social organization, the workplace, a coffee house or gym, or other location where many people gather. However they meet, bumping into each other at a park, a one sidling closer in a lecture hall, or chatting at a wedding, they are drawn together for second, third, and many more meetings. In relationships by contract, two people are united because of social status or monetary wishes. These concerns drive the match, and the two people have clear expectations of each other. Courtship is not needed to become acquainted. That phase of the relationship is performed by the matchmaking entity who finds someone to fit the stated qualifications of the person or persons seeking to form the relationship. The parents are the individual. The driving force for relationships by choice always begins with a bit of lust. For relationships by contract, the driving force is commonality. For a relationship by contract, 
a matchmaker entity will find someone of an equivalent or higher social or monetary standing. The two people bond into a family unit, and their devotion to the family unit keeps that relationship going. Land or monetary settlements may change hands. The ongoing status of the couple and the extended families now bound together is important. Any future choices by the couple are based on the increasing value to the new family unit, not on transitory emotional whims. Modern writers often play with the idea of the matchmaker who mysteriously understands how a relationship by contract can morph into a relationship of choice, thus combining the two types. In the modern world, relationships by contract are not unusual. In many cultures, they are the accepted form, and the alternative is considered strange. In the upper levels of society, which is ruled by the acquisition of power or money or both, relationships by contract are still common. The media may be served and regurgitate to an avid population that a relationship is based on love, but emotions do not dictate the binding of the couple. Relationships of choice were uncommon in the historical world, especially among the upper classes. The whole perspective of relationships by contract develops from the historical view of women as chattel, just as children were considered chattel or property. Chattel was considered to retain its value, which distinguished it from other types of property. Keeping history in mind when viewing modern events can open windows for writers. The most apropos example of the lingering women as property viewpoint is the wedding ceremony, which has not changed even though brides and grooms are constantly tinkering with it. The easiest element to show property in the historically unchanged wedding ceremony occurs when the minister asks, who gives this woman to be married? The father or some other person will say, I do, or her mother and me, or some such statement. The person who answers could be a friend, male or female. The bride may be giving herself and want that statement avoided, but every person attending will still hear it at the appropriate time. The key word in this exchange is gives. With those words, the father or whoever is performing the service gives the bride to the groom. It doesn't matter how the words are changed. If the minister asks and is answered by the transfer of a hand by one hand to the other, then you have the symbolic transfer of property. The father of the bride is transferring his chattel into the care and protection of another, just as land would be transferred. It can be dressed up in frothy white satin with concealing lace, but it's still property officially being transferred. Another property element in the wedding ceremony is the objection comment. If any of you can show just cause why this couple may not be lawfully wed, speak now or forever hold your peace. Writers have always found this a rich element of drama. For our purposes, note the word lawfully, as well as the implication that one of the two parties could have bound themselves contractually, and that original contract now becomes void, just like a new will supersedes all previous ones. I apologize for the honesty that removes romance from the wedding ceremony. A marriage license requires the signature of the officiant and the two parties joined in the contract and official witnesses, one for each party in the contract. 
Historically, the fathers signed the document or a trusted representative of each party. Officiants, usually ministers, are certified by their local government, the state government in the USA, to perform this ceremonial contract. The officiant does not have to be a religious professional. Judges or justices of the peace can perform the ceremony, and ship's captains can perform ceremonies while at sea. The marriage license must be applied for with a local government entity and must be recorded following the ceremony. If the officiant is not certified, the marriage is considered invalidated. It's all very legal. Breaking Relationships Because property is transferred in a marriage, that property is expected to be treated in such a way that value will be retained. The dissolving of any contract, including marriage, would mean that the property must be returned to its original owner. Marriage, a transfer of property, could be dissolved through divorce or annulment, with the involvement of legal court systems still required. Remember, marriages are a legally binding contract. While most governments have rid themselves of the old term common law marriage, a couple could be considered bound legally if they met two requirements. A wedding ceremony was unnecessary if the couple, one, lived together, and two, presented themselves as a married couple. If the common law couple decided to separate, they would need a legal decision to validate the change in the relationship. Part of the reason was a belief that the court's intervention offered a semblance of protection for a woman who had entered such a relationship. Religious courts rarely became involved in the dissolution of marriages, leaving that to the legal system. Religious courts would intervene or monitor the dissolution when the marriage had resulted in children or when the heads of nations sought the marriage's dissolution. Annulment would bastardize any children born within the marriage, so children were protected as innocent parties. Historically, and I'm talking centuries, not decades. Once the marriage was dissolved, the property, it makes me angry to think in these terms, would be returned, along with any accrued valuables, to the original owner. It was a rare day when a marriage was dissolved to the benefit of an independent woman. Currently, the Western court system offers no-fault divorce decrees, when both people in a relationship agree to separate and have no major property to divide. Divorce becomes a long, drawn-out process involving lawyers, hearings and depositions, closed court sessions, and orders and decrees when property or other issues have to be resolved as fairly as possible. Children are still considered property, although they are not discussed as such. The court's manner in deciding who has primary possession of any children, custody, is all about holding property. Divorce becomes ugly when one party to the divorce action has deeply offended the other, who wants revenge when property may be divided in an unequal manner or when some intangible, such as community status, may be damaged. I totally didn't intend to head off in these directions of relationship by contract, and women and children as property, and the dissolution of marriages when I contemplated relationship by choice. Yet here we are. I've said it, and now I'm leaving it.
The Right Focus is currently in the series all about characters, from building and presenting a character to relationships, leadership styles, team roles, and special touches for characters. Avoid creating characters who are stereotypes. Reveal their public and private interiors. Focus on couples, mentors, enemies, and much, much more. The information comes from M.A. Lee's guidebook, Discovering Characters, part of the Discovering series on the writing craft. Link to the guidebooks are in the show notes. Thanks for listening to The Right Focus, a podcast for writers at all levels, hosted by M.A. Lee from Writers, Inc. Books, assisted by Renee Black and Edie Runes. Our focus is productivity, process, craft, and tools. Music is licensed through Audio Jungle called Background Music Loop. Its creator is Alexander Polishchuk, known on Audio Jungle as Plastic 3. The music comes in different iterations. Show notes and resource links for this and other episodes can be found at therightfocus.blogspot.com. Write to us at linkbooks at aol.com when you have questions, comments, and speculations. We will try to answer you as quickly as possible. By the way, we will not mind your email address. That's rude. If you find value in our content, share with your writing friends or write a review. We're small beans here without the advertising budget of the big peeps, and you can make a difference. And whatever occurs, right on.